Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, Acts 16, as we continue this morning to consider uh, our Acts sermon series. As you're turning there, uh, I'm wondering how many of you, like me, have wanted, wanted to alter the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer opens familiarly this way, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm going to guess that a few of you, like me, have wanted that third petition to be something more like this. Thy will be revealed and explained on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be made known more clearly on earth as it is in heaven. Usually it comes in the form of, why is this happening? What are you doing, God? And why are you doing it this way? I'm going to guess that in the last few weeks and months, more than a few of us have asked that question. Why, oh God, are things happening the way they're happening? What is your plan? Well, the opening of Acts 16 reveals a similar scenario in the life of the Apostle Paul. His desire to go one way, to do one thing, while the circumstances controlled by God lead him in another way. And the text, as we're going to read in a moment, you're going to see, it doesn't just give this idea that it, you know, that, what's that uh, 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 common phrase, you know, whenever God, you know, closes one door, he opens another. But what we're going to see in the text is really something a little more abrupt, that, that God forbade them, he prohibited them, he would not allow them. And for at least a time, the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke, who we're going to see in a moment, are all together with him, they, they were wondering, what is going on? Why can't we do the ministry we want to do? Why can't we go to the mission field we want to go to? Why, God, are you doing what you're doing? Would you please reveal your will on earth as you've revealed it in heaven? Let's consider now uh, the word of God from Acts 16. We'll begin in verse 1 and read through verse 10. <clears throat> Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily." Pause for just a moment here and remember what we saw last time was that Paul had proposed to Barnabas exactly this trip. Let's go back and revisit all the churches that we had visited on our first missionary journey and let's see how they're doing. Let's check in on them. More than that, let's take to them. Remember, uh, there had been controversy in these churches about how Gentiles should be incorporated in the church and the Jerusalem Council had wrestled with that issue in Acts 15 
and, 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 and issued a decree in, in a form of a letter and also made Paul and Barnabas official spokespeople, spokesmen of that, that council. And so they're going to go to these churches and deliver that news to them, that word to them. And we see Paul doing exactly that going to these churches and sharing with them the good news that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that there are no works required or even uh, helpful in uh, bringing one to salvation. We're going to talk more about those opening verses in our midweek devotional. As I mentioned, it would be a bit of a sub, uh, sermon supplement and encourage you to, to take a look at those. So let's continue now in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Asia was a province back then just west of these other provinces. So uh, what would be modern-day uh, southwestern Turkey. Um, and that's where they wanted to go. Verse 7. And when they had come to uh, uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Bithynia is to the north, so they try to go into western Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Now they're trying to go into northern modern-day Turkey, and they're being prohibited in both cases. They cannot go where they want to go and minister. Verse 8. So uh, passing by uh, uh, Mesha, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Spirit of God, speak to us through this, your word. Open it to our hearts and minds. Comfort us through it. Reassure us of your sovereign hand of control over all things. So that when we face times as these men faced, times when we cannot do what we want to do, when we cannot go where we want to go, where we cannot fulfill the, 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 the mission we believe you have for us, we will nevertheless trust in your sovereign hand, knowing that you are in control of all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want us to consider two things from this passage. Uh, uh, first, I want us to consider how we know God's will. How do we know the will of God? And then I want us to consider how it is that we live in response to God's will, how we live out his will. How do we know God's will and how do we live out God's will? Deuteronomy 29, 29 says something really interesting, something incredibly helpful when it comes to the will of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to our God, but the revealed things belong to us. And we see there when Moses makes this statement that Moses uh, makes a distinction between two aspects of the will of God, two sides of that coin between the revealed things and the hidden things. Theologians will sometimes refer to God's will in those terms, his revealed will and his hidden will, but we will also see it referred to by other terms that are roughly um, uh, correlate to the same things. We'll, theologians will sometimes speak of God's preceptive will, his preceptive will, his will that is rooted in his precepts, those things that he has said, you shall not murder, is a revelation of the preceptive will of God through a precept 
He reveals to us what he wants us to do. It is his preceptive will. It's interesting, when we consider God's preceptive will, the expression of how he wants us to behave, how often we find that bothersome, troublesome, overwhelming, overbearing, too much to ask. Now, there's an irony to that. Think about how I opened the sermon, about our desire that God would reveal his will more fully. And then what do we do? We turn right around where he has revealed it in very clear terms. Well, that's not what it really means. I shouldn't have to really do that. That's too much to ask. Which is it? Do we want him to reveal his will or don't we? And if we want him to reveal his will, we recognize that he has done so in certain precepts, certain commands of things we ought to do, honor your father and mother, and certain things we ought not to do, do not bear false witness. And there are many, many others. When we speak of God's will, when we, when we consider what Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, we recognize that there is an aspect of God's will which is revealed. He has made it known to us through his word. Now, I share that not because that's directly involved with Acts 16, Rather, Acts 16 reels, reveals, uh, wrestles with the hidden side of God's will. But nevertheless, I want us to recognize and be sure we understand that when we ask for God to reveal his will, we are to some degree asking him to do what he has already done. And it is to some measure, I've got to believe, while our Heavenly Father is infinitely more patient than any earthly father could be, Nevertheless, just as it gets on my nerves after a while, when, when the kids keep asking the same question over and over and over again, and I say, I've told you, I've answered that, I've told you what I want in that area, at what point does our Heavenly Father get fed up? And the question is not really when he gets fed up, it's a question of why do we keep pushing that issue? Why do we keep making him be patient in that regard. We must recognize that he has revealed his will. It's called the Bible. It's called his word. And he's told us what he expects of us. And yet, to be sure, these four men here, at least four, there may have been others traveling with them, but Paul and Timothy and Silas, Silas wasn't I can't remember if he's mentioned in this particular passage, but Silas is with them at this point. And you saw the plural in in, in verse 10 there. Luke is part of the party at this point. Um, So we got at least these four traveling. They're wrestling with another aspect of God's will, what Moses called the hidden things. The hidden things belong to our God. Uh, 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 Scholars, theologians will refer to this as God's decretive will. His decretive will. If his preceptive will is that which is revealed in his precepts, His decretive will is that which is revealed in his decrees, what he says, what he orders. Not so much what he says to us, not necessarily what he reveals to us, but what he decrees in his sovereign control over all things. Our catechism, part of the constitution of our church, uh, captures it uh, in, in this way. 
Question seven asks, what are the decrees of God? And the answer is the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. When we speak of God's decree, when we speak of his decretive will, we are talking about that which he has uh, said will happen. His, his preceptive will is that which he wants to have happen, what he wants us to do. His decretive will is that which will happen. The next question of the Catechism asks this, how does God execute his decrees? God executes his decrees, it answers, in the works of creation and providence. God executes his decrees in the works of creation and providence. We sometimes forget about this. We sometimes forget that this is God's will. This is, and, and as time goes along, more of it is being revealed. Less of it is hidden. So that there are times that some of us wrestle with things like, God, why am I who I am? I don't like who I am. I don't, maybe, maybe I don't like my gender, maybe. I don't like the fact that I can't grow hair. You know, I don't like what, yeah, this is not a choice, by the way, in case you were wondering, you know. I don't like what, and we forget that God in his creation and providence made me who I am. He made you who you are. He determined your gender. He determined your height. He determined your status in life, some disability you might have, some special skill you might have. Whatever it is, God made you that way. And in your birth and in your growing in life and development, he has revealed more of it to you. I'm not saying that doesn't mean that you can't occasionally wrestle with the why in the sense of how do I live in light of this, Lord? Given that you've made me this way, what do you want from me? But to question that that he created you the way he did is to doubt his right to make what he wants to make the way he wants to make it. One of the ways that God executes his decrees are in creation. The other the catechism said, was providence. And that's what we see at work in the text here. The hand of providence guiding the, the, the progress of Paul and his team through their second missionary journey. We see there in uh, uh, verse 6, uh, and they went through the region of uh, Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. The implied uh, 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 reality there is that they had wanted to go to Asia. They were going to try to go into that western portion of modern-day Turkey. And that for some reason, their way was blocked. Now, we don't know. And I think it's a wonderful thing that Luke does not tell us why or how this happened. Their way is blocked. The Holy Spirit forbade them from going into Asia, but we don't know. You know why we don't know? You know why the Holy Spirit held that back? Why Luke does not include this? Because if it were here, we would make out of it some some hard rule that the only circumstances under which you can read the Word of God is when this and this and this happens. You see, what happened was uh, they were going to go across into Western Asia, and the river there, the bridge was out at the river, and they couldn't cross over the river to get into Western Asia, and they found out it was going to, you know, there was no ferry plan. It was going to take months for the bridge to be repaired. And so they went, and we would say the only time the Lord blocks your way is when there are bridges out. 
you know. Or we do the other extreme, you know, going, well, I was on my way to church, but, you know, the drawbridge was up, so I turned on and went home. I mean, that was a clear sign from God. I wasn't supposed to go to church. <laughs> the bridge was out. We would turn that into a precept when it wasn't meant to be a precept. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know how the Holy Spirit accomplished his work. But something in their circumstances, by the providence of the Almighty, prevented them, uh, uh, forbade them, prohibited them from going into Asia. And so they decide, as we read there, we see that they decide they try to go a different direction. So then they came to uh, Mysia. They attempted to go into Bithynia. Uh, Bith- uh, 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 but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, we see this prohibition is not being allowed. And one of the things that we wrestle with at this point is this idea of knowing God's will, this revealed, this, this hidden will that is revealed through providence. How do we know what God wants? You know, we've been wrestling with this as a church. The elders have wrestled with this in the last few weeks. You see, there was a, a, a trip planned to Mexico in a few weeks. We were supposed to take a team and go down and minister in Mexico. And we kept asking ourselves, when's the right time to say we're not going? The circumstances seem to be working against us going. Not just the COVID-19, but other things happening. And we wrestle with this. How do we know whether or not God has closed that door? And at, one, at some point after prayer and after consideration and after wrestling as elders and, and debating with each other, we finally agreed, as they agreed collectively here, that the door was shut. And we could not go. That is one way that God's will is re- revealed. So knowing God's will, we know his preceptive will by knowing his word, we learn about his, his decretive or his hidden will just by living as circumstances unfold, as events happen, as we look how things are created, how they're made, how uh, events unfold. We learn about the hidden will of God, his decretive will. And so the question becomes, how do we live in light of these? Well, the first principle we have to establish is this. I'm going to say it two different ways. The first one is a little more technical. The second one will probably stick with us better. God's decretive will will never negate his preceptive will. God's decretive will will never negate his preceptive will. Let me say this a different way. There is no right reason to do the wrong thing. There is no right reason to do the wrong thing. Never will God's decretive will create a circumstance where you are justified in violating his preceptive will. He has said, do not commit adultery. You do not get to justify adultery by saying, well, the circumstances required it. She was really attractive. And my wife was really far away, so, you know, the circumstances. And by that song, too, when you can't be with the one you love, just love the one you're with. I mean, between that song and how good looking she was and how far away my wife was, the circumstances came together to require me to have the affair. No! God's decretive will, the way things unfold, will never require us to violate his perceptive will. And that's the first thing that has to be established because it is astounding how often we get that wrong. 
I have shared with you before and I will share with you again that probably somewhere in the neighborhood, I've never actually done the math, but I'm going to ballpark it and guess that about 80% of the time that someone comes, goes to a pastor asking for counsel, what they're really asking for is justification to do the wrong thing. I want you, pastor, to tell me it's okay to sin the way I want to sin. They're not really looking for counsel. They're not really looking for what it... We want to come up with reasons why it's okay to do the wrong thing. And the first thing is we wrestle with the will of God in this passage here as it unfolds. We must accept that his decretive will will never violate his perceptive will. There is no right reason to do the wrong thing. And the next thing we see here is this question of how do we interpret God's decretive will? How do we read the circumstances? How do we make sense of what's going on around us? How do we know when the circumstances have conspired to push us in one direction or another? And I'm going to be very blunt. We don't always know. It's not always easy. There is no clear, one clear-cut guideline. Notice they wrestle with it for a time. God eventually wants them, he wants them to cross over into what is modern-day Europe. Northern Greece, Macedonia, and down into Greece. But it takes them a while. They first try to go into western uh, uh, Turkey, modern-day Turkey, uh, the province of Asia back then. And that is blocked circumstantially. Then they try to go into Bithy- 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 northern modern-day Turkey. And that is blocked. And what we see going on here is that circumstances continue to funnel them into Macedonia. But that, even then, they don't rightly read those circumstances. Now, I'm not accusing them of sinning. I'm not saying they should have been able to read those circumstances. What I'm pointing out to you and to me is that if the Apostle Paul and his aide Silas, and his newfound friend Timothy, and Luke, if the four of them could not make sense of the circumstances, we're frequently going to be stymied. We're frequently going to be sitting there going, what's going on? And one of the things I would encourage you is to consider the counsel of many. Do not on your own, in your own wisdom, try to read circumstances. Do not pretend that you're able to decipher what is happening in the world around you. They do not. Paul does not by himself. Luke does not by himself. They get together. Notice how Luke words it there in verse 10. You know, And when Paul had seen the vision, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They together made this decision. It is one of many excellent biblical arguments for why we hold to a Presbyterian form of church government. It is not something, decisions ought not to be made by one person. Because one person can never read all the situation adequately. In your own life, when you're wondering if circumstances are pushing you one way or another, is it time to change jobs? Is it time to buy a new house? Is it time to do this, that, or the other thing? Seek the counsel of other godly men and women people with whom you have friendships and relationships and whom you would trust their feedback. When the question is, is it time? Is this what is meant by this? See, seek out 
help from others. The other thing we must recognize is <clears throat> that we needn't necessarily worry about whether we are obeying God's decretive will. Remember, we're called to obey his preceptive will, but we needn't worry about obeying his decretive will. Don't fret over that. Don't wonder. You know, as the elders of churches, we wrestled with that question of whether or not our team should go to Mexico. One of the things we had to come to grips with was whatever decision we make, we're not going to worry about whether we're in obedience or not in obedience. We're not called to obey circumstances the way that we're called to obey revelation. They're very different expressions of God's will. And it, the, the, the men here are not held accountable. Luke uh, does not hint at all that they've done anything wrong because they couldn't figure it out. They try to go into Asia, it doesn't work, so they try to go to Bithynia. He doesn't fault them for that. There's no, oh, you guys should have known by you were supposed to go to Macedonia. No. And as you wrestle with circumstances in your life, is it time to take that new job? And you consider the wisdom and you consider the pros and cons and how it'll affect your family and how it'll affect the people around you and how, it'll, and, and how it'll affect your ministry in the local church. And as you wrestle with those things, when it's all said and done and you've sought the counsel of others, if there's nothing in there that is a violation of God's word, then go forward in whichever way you choose. And go forward with peace and conf confidence. You're not in violation of God's will by taking one job or another. May not be. Yeah, you can be. There will be jobs that are a violation of God's word and his percept, uh, precepts. But, but once you've gone through that, so don't fret. Don't get hung up forever wondering if you've made the right decision. Many of us are wrestling with those things right now. Many of us are wrestling with the difficult decisions and choices that we have to make in light of the circumstances. I think most of you know that my father is in hospice care. He is dying. If he dies in the next few days, what are we going to do for a funeral? Are we really going to limit it to 10 people who can go to his funeral? Are we going to violate the laws of the state? What are we going to do? How do we honor our father while also honoring the government that's put over us? It's not an easy decision. And it's one that's got to be wrestled with. And, 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 and you're, you're, some of you are facing, when is it time to go back out? When is it time to come back to corporate worship? I don't know. I don't, I'm not going to stand here and pretend I know the right answer for that. As soon as possible. I just think possible is different for everybody. So we don't know how to wrestle with these issues always. But don't fret over that. Finally, also, <clears throat> I'll say this. Be sure that you interpret the circumstances in light of the revealed will of God. Notice that Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke didn't just sit down and quit ministering. The preceptive will of God, the revealed will of God, we see back in Acts 13. At the beginning of Acts 13, when the Holy Spirit comes to the elders at Antioch and says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas, that they can do the work to which I have called them. The revealed will of God was that Paul was to be a missionary. And he does not violate that. 
What he chooses to do is consistent with that call on his life. It's consistent with that revealed will of God. Where he does that is in response to the circumstances and response to a second revelation when he gets the vision. Finally, I would also remind us of this. Whatever, whatever you had planned, whatever you had wanted to do, wherever you had wanted to go, whoever, whatever job you wanted, house you wanted, place you wanted to be, and whatever the circumstances that blocked your path, that kept you from being where you wanted to be and going where you wanted to go, the path you're now on is the better path. The path you're now on is the better path. For what did we see in our New Testament reading? That all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. What did we see in the Proverbs from our Old Testament reading? That that mankind makes his plans in his heart. It is God that carries these things out. And you say, Scott, well, Scott, the path I'm on right now doesn't feel that great. But you don't know what the other path was. You're not sovereign. You're not omniscient. You don't know what that other path would have taken you to, what destruction, what sin, what hurt, what pain might have been on that other path. You also may not know whom you have touched by the path you're on now. When circumstances don't let you do what you want, when the will of God is not revealed the way you'd like or it is revealed the way you wish it hadn't been, you, you, you follow his word. You walk within the parameters that are set here. And then you have great freedom to respond to the circumstances without fear of being disobedient so long as you're not violating the precepts of this word. There is freedom to then walk the path. And then there is confidence to know the path that you're now on is the better path. It is the good way of the God who loves you and is looking out for you, and is providing for you, and is choosing for you what is best. Our circumstances right now are tough. They are a challenge. But even in the midst of these circumstances, our God is still good. He still loves his own. He still has called them to a particular purpose, and he will still do what is best for them. I love the last song we sang before the sermon. The lyrics in there that speak of even if, you know, pain or death is in my way, I know that God has taken me there. He has walked me down that path for our good purposes. Perhaps it's time to go home. Perhaps it's time to be freed from these mortal bonds. And isn't going home to him better than being here? I don't know exactly how your circumstances are directing you. I know that Paul wanted to go two different places he wasn't allowed to go. But I also know that our God is good to those who are his own. And the path he takes you on, the path he is taking you on right now, is the path he has chosen for your own good. Because he loves you. Because he has a purpose in your life. You know, the Lord's Prayer says what it says for a reason. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not your will be revealed on earth like we wish the prayer said. But it is a prayer that says, Lord, let me obey you. Let me trust you. Let me walk in your way the way the angels do. The way the saints who have gone before me now do. Lord, let me obey and love and trust you that way. That's what we see with Paul and Timothy and, and, and Silas and Luke. They'd go into Macedonia. They minister to the nation of Greece, and wonderful things happen. And by the way, they actually do get to stop in in Asia on the way home. They're going to stop in Ephesus. God does eventually open that door. He just didn't open it then. Let us live with that great confidence and that great assurance that our God is in control of the events of our lives and that he is controlling them for our own good and for his eternal purposes. Let's pray. Lord, it is hard to live by faith. We want everything told to us, explained to us, itemized before us, mapped out clearly. And yet what we see, Lord, is that you, that is not the way you have ever worked with your saints. You have even to the, the prophets of old and to the apostles of the New Testament, you, you do not fully explain all that you're doing. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that even if you did, we wouldn't understand it all. We wouldn't see it the way you see it. We wouldn't be able to wrestle with all the nuances. So Lord, help us to live lives of faith. Help us to live lives that trust you. Help us to to dig into your word so that we know your precepts, so that we are never in violation of your preceptive will. And then, Lord, give us great confidence and peace and assurance that we can live with whatever you unfold, whatever your uh, 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 providence chooses to reveal of your hidden will. We know that we can live in light of it, faith in you. Like these men, let us seek to minister where you send us, where you place us. Let us seek to obey you wherever you bring us so that your name will be glorified and your church built up. We pray this in Christ. Amen.